Hola chicos, gracias por sintonizar BitCorner Podcast, el primer podcast salvadoreño de Bitcoin donde entrevisto a líderes, pensadores, economistas, políticos, educadores en Bitcoin y mucho más. Recuerda que este podcast es un puente entre todas estas líderes, pensadores y que están trabajando en Bitcoin y nuestra comunidad hispanohablante. Así que si quieres apoyar el show, por favor no olvides suscribirte al canal. Y si te gusta este tipo de contenido, dale el botón de like para que puedas compartirlo y llegue a muchas más personas. Y además no olvides darle a la campanita para que no te pierdas ninguna, ningún episodio y te llegue la notificación de, de un nuevo episodio. Um, además, recuerda que este, este podcast no te ofrece ningún tipo de consejo financiero, es nada más para educación y entretenimiento, así que antes de realizar cualquier inversión, no olvides hacer tu propia investigación y sé consciente de tu tolerancia al riesgo. Ok, es hora de hablar del primer partner del, uh, del podcast, que es donde yo protejo mis bitcoins, Blockstream. Cuando dejas tus activos digitales en un exchange o en custodia de alguien más, te expones a riesgos de terceros no deseados. A diferencia del sistema bancario tradicional, Bitcoin te permite tomar el control total de tus fondos utilizando tus propias claves privadas. Esto te permite ser soberano y esencialmente tu propio banco. Al tomar el control de tus bitcoins, puedes evitar riesgos innecesarios de terceros. Almacenar tus bitcoins en custodia de terceros como los exchanges puede exponerte a ataques de actores malintencionados, gobiernos o estafadores que lo único que quieren es apoderarse de tu dinero. El proceso de autocustodia puede parecer abrumador al principio, pero afortunadamente Blockstream Jade Wallet hace que sea súper fácil custodiar tus activos. Las billeteras de hardware son dispositivos que almacenan de forma segura las claves privadas de tus bitcoins y activos de liquid sin conexión a internet. Las billeteras de hardware aumentan la seguridad de tu billetera porque tus claves privadas se almacenan en un dispositivo especializado que no está siempre conectado al internet. Como te he dicho antes, mantener tus claves almacenadas en un dispositivo en línea puede exponerte a factores adicionales de ataque por lo que se recomienda usar una billetera de hardware al almacenar grandes cantidades de Bitcoin durante largos periodos de tiempo. Jade es una billetera de hardware no custodial para Bitcoins y Liquid que ofrece opciones de firma simple y firmas múltiples. Yo personalmente lo utilizo para almacenar mis Bitcoins, ya que me siento mucho más seguro manteniendo mis Bitcoins en una billetera fría que en una almacenada, por ejemplo, en mi teléfono. Si estás pensando en adquirir uno para ti, no olvides utilizar el código de descuento de, descuento de nuestro show, BitCorner Podcast. De esta forma estarás apoyando directamente el show y además obtendrás un 10% de descuento para la compra de tu billetera fría. ¿Ok? Hora del show. El Salvador has like a very special place in my heart. Um, you know, from visiting it, from getting to know the people. And I, I'd say this to people like who haven't been there. Go to it for Bitcoin, go go to it for whatever, but what you should pay attention to when you visit El Salvador is look at the look at people's faces there. And 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 if you can speak Spanish or you can find a tour guide and people who speak English there, speak to locals and, and ask them about their country. Because I think more in El Salvador than almost any other place in the world right now, people are extremely hopeful for the future there. And and hope is infectious, and that's what's going on in El Salvador right now. You have an infectious level of hope uh when you travel there when you leave and it, it's hard not to have like a smile on your face in that country so um i love that like that's really really special
all beautiful people of the internet, welcome once again to BitCorner Podcast. Uh, before starting the show, I just want to share with you some exciting news really quick. So you may be wondering why I have been absent the last past uh, couple of weeks, couple of uh, days. And the reason why is because I have been doing some really cool stuff, actually. So, you know, uh, at the beginning of the of September, we have the uh, Apple keynote with, where they presented the new iPhones. Uh, if, if you may, if you don't know, uh, I'm also a tech reviewer. So I have been doing so really cool uh, Apple reviews. So uh, if you want to visit my Medium account, uh, you will find my Apple reviews, everything related about the new four models of iPhone. So uh, yeah, th- that took me a lot of time also because uh, we had to do some tech, some tests and also the reviews. And, you know, it's really fun, but it takes time. So yeah, that's why I have been absent the last couple of days. Uh, but yeah, uh, but I know that that is not related to Bitcoin, but this is related to Bitcoin. And we are actually also building a website of the show. So I'm going to show you really quick. This is not finished yet, but I just want to give you a sneak peek of what uh, what have what. I have been working on uh, the last couple of days. So uh, the the Apple reviews, yeah, it was really fun. But again, uh, we're also building a website about the podcast. So yeah, here's the about. Uh, here, if there are some sections you want to start learning about Bitcoin, here's, here are some pills about uh, previous episodes. So really cool. I invite you to watch them because they are really insightful. Um, yeah, so... This podcast is also presented. In, actually, this podcast it has now uh, three new partners. So one of them is Bitblock Boom, the other one is Bitbox O2, and the other one is uh, Bitcoin Conference 2024. So, um, as you know, uh, I want you that you have uh, some advantage and some benefits uh, to be part of this community. So that's why uh, I close some deals with Bitbox O2, so you will have some discount also as Blockstream. So you will have several options uh, in whichever uh, device, hardware wallet, you want to make self-custody of your own Bitcoin. So uh, now, now you have several options or where device you want to use. Both are one of uh, are the goals, I think, uh, are the goals, the greatest of all time. Uh, I think they are really great. So that's why uh, they partnered with me and I partnered with them. So Bitbulk Boom is uh, one of my dearest friends. Garis Leland is one of the, uh, actually, oldest and largest Bitcoin conference in the world. So they even didn't stop in the pandemic. So uh, shout out to them because they are really Bitcoin maxed and they provide a lot of education. So that's why they partnered with me. And yeah, Bitcoin Conference 2024, we'll see you in Nashville, we'll see you, I will see you in Amsterdam. So yeah, uh, but uh, I will tell you more about it in future episodes. So yeah, guys. So continuing there, this is more about the website. So uh, this is what people are saying. These are the platforms where you can listen to the show. So I apologize if you're listening to this in whichever of those, uh, this platform, Fun Time, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, because you're not watching what I'm saying. But I try to do uh, the best I can describing everything that is uh, on the website. And here are some uh ways that you can support the show as you may know this is all self-reduced by me i enjoy it this is my life it's super super uh, i'm super grateful of what i do i'm having fun a lot and of course i'm learning a lot and i hopefully i know that you guys are learning too so yeah if you want to support the show here are some several options where you can donate some satoshis 
uh, we will have some future themes and also future projects based on Sabler. So yeah, th that will be super good to uh, to feature them here on the website. And yeah, as I mentioned earlier, here are where you can grab some discount for, for use to have some benefits. So if you want some discount to go to Bitblockboom in Dallas, Texas, so um, here you can grab some discounts also for from Blockstreams for your Jade Wallet and also from Bitbox02. And you want to know more about the podcast. And last but not least, these are some ways that you can connect with me directly through socials. And yeah, I will start also uh, streaming the show on Rumble. And you can also support the show in locals. So, but yeah, we'll talk about it in future episodes. So, yeah, that's everything that I want to say. That's all the news that I want to share with you. And actually, I need to do the introduction here because, you know, uh, while I was editing the, the show, I forgot to uh, add the introduction. So I'm going to do just the introduction right here, right now. So, yeah, <clears throat> let's do it. So uh, welcome once again to BitCorner Podcast. Today, we have the great pleasure to talk with this guy that you probably know him from TikTok and also from YouTube. He made uh, this quite interesting show um sorry uh content where he challenged himself to explain bitcoin in less than 60 seconds it's quite amazing guys so you probably know him as kinetic finance but uh, he's also known as julian figueroa so julian thank you for being here thank you for your time and welcome to the show hey thanks for having me Juan. excited to chat yeah absolutely uh Actually, I'm going to say that I'm really huge fan, and not, not just about your YouTube channel, because I actually more uh, enthusiast about your TikTok videos or Instagram videos, because that idea, and we're going to talk about that, but that idea of teaching about money or teaching about teaching about Bitcoin in less than 60 minutes is a challenge, man. Well done. Well done. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> Um, but you know, the fun, the fun part about it is because we all know like the Bitcoin journey is, is pretty long and there's all these things we have to touch. You can Absolutely. essentially just make so many different chapters of the journey. Like what the, you know, WTF happened in 1971, what is the <laughs> yeah. who made Bitcoin? Like every, everything we learn in Bitcoin, it is challenging, but it is possible to get everything into little 60 second chapters, uh, which is fun. And so that's kind of been my my job over the last year is to just split it up. And, and you know, it's 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 a balance between, you know, here's just a bunch of information about Bitcoin. And then here are some things that are a bit more clickbaity. You know, I, I put on a wig uh, a couple of weeks ago for one of the shorts because I think that's the other thing, too, with with education and teaching people about Bitcoin is that if you're just going to explain information to the camera, it's not going to show up on all the algorithms. So you got to you got to do it in yeah. a catchy way as well. And that's it's just it's a it's a pretty good little challenge, but it's been super fun. Yeah. Congratulations, man, because uh, I actually um, I told the same thing to one of my friends that is Lena. So I should shout out to her because I tell that there's there's a challenge to as you said to have you have a lot of information about money about bitcoin but the challenge in, in her case to put it in a frame of a comics and in her case to put it in in 60 seconds and ex to explain uh go to the to the points to the highlights to the information it, it's really challenging and you do it well so congratulations again <laughs> thanks man i appreciate it yeah it's uh it's been a journey and it's it's exciting because i think a lot of people especially during the bear markets they get burnt out because you'll make mm -hmm. all these you know, pieces of media education, but in the bear markets, it's just so quiet. And so the challenge for me is like, I, I want to build this through the bear market. I don't want a whole bunch of people to show up in the bull market. And then, you know, I have a lot more explaining to do. 
And so in the bear market is really when you get to experiment uh, with new mediums mm -hmm. and, and try different things and get a real glimpse of what the audience is for Bitcoin, because, you know, Bitcoin is not defined by those, you know, one in four years or two in four years where you have a whole bunch of newbies. Right. I think it's mm -hmm. really defined by the people who stick around for four plus years and, and the people who are learning about Bitcoin and watching the videos right now. A lot of them are, you know, Bitcoiners who have been around forever, but a lot of them uh, beyond that are people who have been really skeptical about Bitcoin too for the last three, four years. And so it's it's been cool reaching out to them. And trust me, I've gotten my fair share of people calling me and I'm like an idiot for saying some of the things that I've <laughs> no. said about money. You mm -hmm. got to deal with that too, but that's, uh, that's part of the process. No, I get it. And I feel related to that because uh, th that's actually one of my goals too, because develop and make a lot of content here the educational content because as you said we're in the beer market so that this is the time when you actually do things and and in the bull market well people get excited so they want to learn more and and in my the, case the, well, the bull market the bull market is when the sponsors come <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> do what absolutely. you do <laughs> yeah absolutely they see the money they come here mm -hmm. yeah yeah. But no, but, but yeah, the, the thing is that I, I want actually that because you know, um, even we have a a big challenge. I mean, Salvadorians because we have it as a legal tender, so we had to make a lot of education for other Salvadorians. And uh, shout out to all the people that are working in El Salvador every single day, not just Salvadorians, but people around the world that come goes there and educating, uh, give their best to people and to to make. Uh, Bitcoin as easy as possible for, for everyone. But, um, okay, we're going to talk about El Salvador because uh, I know you went there, you actually made two uh, films, uh, well, two parts of one film uh, in YouTube, actually it was really great. We're going to talk about that. But before that, uh, if you don't mind, can you please introduce a little bit about yourself, like your past, uh, where are you from? Maybe what did you study? So maybe the, the audience uh, can know you a little bit better. The origin story, of course. Um, origins. <laughs> so I, uh, I am a film kid. I'll call myself a kid still. I feel very childlike <laughs> when I make these things. Um, I, I went to film school back uh, between 2012 to 2016 at the University of British Columbia. Got a bachelor's degree there uh, for film production. And when you get a degree in film production, you kind of go one of two ways. Either you try and go into like feature filmmaking, TV, Hollywood type stuff. Or you go down the route of more independent filmmaking, maybe commercial, corporate, boutique. You work at a small agency, make short videos. Or if you're going to do the Hollywood thing, you become an assistant and you sort of have to work your way up the ladder. But it's a pretty long process. You're spending probably like three years plus just fetching people coffees. And then maybe they give you a role as a cinematographer or an assistant editor on something. And you work your way up. And so... Me being me, I didn't want to do that. So I said, okay, the route that I'm going to pick in terms of filmmaking is probably going to be more doing commercials and doing stuff locally, mm -hmm. video production, essentially, versus film production. Mm -hmm. And so I worked as an editor at a company uh, for about three years, actually starting about 2015 as an editor. So firsthand, even while I was in film school, I was learning about how to edit advertisements, commercials, finding music, creating the flow in a video, uh, taking you know hours of interviews and compressing them into two minutes. And so I learned a lot about storytelling that way because especially corporate videos, you watch them like these, in, these investor videos where basically it's like the CEO talking to camera, like this is what my company is doing and solving and mm -hmm. this is why you should invest in us. 
those videos look boring on the surface um, or challenging, but are not challenging, but they, they look a little bit boring and scripted on the surface. But a lot of the time you'll have about two, three hours of interviews with these CEOs. And in those, you have to find two minutes that tell an actual story because they'll just go off. Like I'm going off right now, rambling about all sorts <laughs> of things. But in those two hours, but this is a podcast. A very, yeah, this is a podcast. So it's okay. <laughs> they'll, they'll go off. They'll go off for two, three minutes, and uh, yeah, you have to find the story in there of the company and portray it in the best light possible. And so I love that. You know, for years I was doing a lot of those videos, and we were doing fun commercials as well. Uh, you know, pretty cinematic stuff. We did like these spec ads for Tesla and these other companies. Uh, I got really good at that after a while. And then I had some money saved up. Um, mm -hmm. I also had some leftover student loans mm -hmm. and I was like, well, I got some money. What should I, you know, put my money into? And it was a split between uh, marijuana stocks because in Canada we hadn't legalized marijuana yet. And so mm. they were all the rage at the time. And then the other uh, chunk I put into Bitcoin and Ethereum and uh, both mm -hmm. of them did really well, but you know, this was back in 2016. So Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, ended up doing really well. Um, my history with Bitcoin, the reason that I even knew about it at the time was I actually bought some Bitcoin back in 2013, but it was to mm -hmm. it was to buy drugs because I was a bad boy uh, back <laughs> in the day. But I bought some Bitcoin, bought some drugs, um, mm -hmm. didn't uh, didn't touch it for three years, didn't care. All I looked at it was for a tool. And then uh, in 2016, I was like, well, this seemed kind of cool. It ended up going up a lot in value. Uh, what else is there? And I, I went down the Ethereum, you know, rabbit hole. I was really interested in all that stuff. Smart contracts, blockchain, everything seemed mm -hmm. really cool at the time. Mm -hmm. But I bought both. I bought Bitcoin and Ethereum. They both did really well. And they did so well that I ended up just quitting my job and starting my own business. And in wow. my own business, we did similar stuff. So I made commercials. For different companies but what i focused on more was literally companies in the things i had invested in so i ended up making videos for the same marijuana companies i bought the stocks in because i thought <laughs> well i know how to make videos i've done all this research on the companies that i wanted to invest in mm -hmm. and it was the same with ethereum like at the time i was really into you know icos and all these things and you know our company ended up doing like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of videos for uh, ICOs back in wow. 2016, 2017. So the Bitcoin maximalists, they can come at me. Uh, I, I <laughs> definitely, definitely went down the shitcoin rabbit hole for a few years. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, not only did I go down the rabbit hole, I was making their marketing material for a bit as well and getting paid in oh. them and all this stuff. But mm -hmm. the, the, the first sign to me that something was wrong was essentially every single uh, product or company that we made these videos for, um, they either didn't even launch their ICO or it completely flopped and the communities died. And I was noticing that all over the place. And it was like, okay, what does this remind me of? And it, it was drawing a lot of parallels to like the 2000 bubble. And that's when I really started getting skeptical of, you know, the whole altcoin stuff. But with Bitcoin, it looked like, you know, the Bitcoin community kept building and there was a real use case for it. So I ended up slowly shifting more towards Bitcoin. Fast forward to the pandemic. Um, at the time before then, I was I started to make a few videos about Bitcoin because I was just learning about it at the same time. I ended up losing money in one of these exchange, uh, you know, collapses. Quadriga. Uh, that was my first ever YouTube video. Was just explaining Quadriga. I was just, you know, I was so shook up by that. Um, wow. But I was like, well, I should explain it to other people, and then that got good mm -hmm. feedback, and I just started making, you know, other videos explaining Bitcoin concepts. Mm -hmm. uh, really small at the time. 
And then in 2020, um, Michael Saylor bought his first Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, string of podcasts that he did a few months later, um, he was the first person I'd ever really heard, I think, besides Andreas Antonopoulos, that really had this like different understanding of how powerful Bitcoin could be. Mm-hmm. And that really inspired me to really focus a lot more on Bitcoin's potential, um, its potential for social justice around the world, um, you know, giving people access to financial tools that had never had them. And, you know, the potential for it to, you know, bring back a sound money standard, something I had never even thought about too much, and the importance of it and, and, and you know, what we lost when we left, you know, basically that with the US dollar back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And... It's just like every Bitcoiner's journey. You start to really realize how powerful Bitcoin is and how big of a market uh, the world has for a sound money. Every society relies on it in some way or another. And societies and, and, and civilization coalesces around, around the strongest form of money. And, you know, Michael Saylor just did such a good job of, of making that clear. And, and after just watching for a bit, I realized, man, I got to do this. I got to start taking what he's been saying and explain it in my own way to people um, a little bit simpler. And so, yeah, I mean, ever since 2020, 21, uh, I even did like a little video that was like the biography of Michael Saylor. Cause I kind of wondered like, why is this guy so eloquent? Like, how is he speaking so mm-hmm. well about this? And then I learned, you know, he predicted, you know, the iPhone becoming like the biggest computing platform and mm-hmm. he, you know, predicted the internet, uh, you know, wave in, in the 2000s. And he's just been on top of things like pretty early before they blew up. And Bitcoin was the first thing where it was like, well, I can really put my skin in the game now. And his uh, his dedication and his, uh, you know, his, his commitment to Bitcoin was really inspiring. And so I was like, well, if he can do it, he's going to put billions on the line. Um, I can put a bit of my time on the line too to try and teach it to people because I really felt passionate about it. And I felt that energy through him. And so... Do yeah, you think long that, story that was short. your sorry, sorry. Do you think that that was your aha moment? Do you consider like your aha moment? Yeah, I mean, I I I'd known and I'd held Bitcoin for years, but it really, for me, it really wasn't till Michael Saylor um, speaking mm-hmm. so eloquently about you know how money is energy and how we 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 interact with money as energy and how we interact with it as a fundamental technology. It wasn't until he brought those kind of ideas to the limelight for me uh, where I suddenly started realizing how important Bitcoin was as -hmm. something beyond an investment. Because I think up to that point, I had looked at it like, here's a technology, I'm buying something like an Apple stock, but it's decentralized. I'm just investing Mm -hmm. in a technology. Mm -hmm. Um, Might work, might not, uh, but I'll have some money in it. And then when I realized, you know, how much bigger it could possibly be than Apple or any one of these things, I was yeah. like, no, I got to get on board with this. And yeah, I've been, uh, I've been obsessed, man. I, I imagine it's the same for you. It, you, you. You probably dabbled in it and then you got really, mm-hmm. really passionate about it. And then you're like, I have to make a podcast about it. And, and that's yeah. all you can think about now, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, actually, I, I love your story, man. And actually, yeah, it was quite like that. Uh, I actually also started with uh with shitcoins like everyone everybody else um mm-hmm. but yeah uh, i studied and even i'm an engineer so i studied uh not bitcoin precisely but blockchain it was one of my topics in the, in the career yeah. really boring actually <laughs> and um but yeah so i put it aside in that moment but then uh a few years later actually my my sister talked to me about bitcoin she's um uh, 
she works in economics and uh, my dad is a doctor and also knew about Bitcoin. So I was like, all right, I'm an engineer. No, I know a bit about Bitcoin. My sister is, a, she studied economics. She knows about Bitcoin. My dad is a doctor. So uh, there's something here that I'm missing. So that's why I, I studied a lot of more. And then um, actually uh, when Del Salvador made it legal tender, when Najib made the announcement, I was uh, hoping that I, I, I was expect, expecting like a lot of produced content about uh, Bitcoin from Salvadorans because I know mm -hmm. there's a lot of content. For example, Max Kaiser and, and Stacy, I always say they're making really good job. Their podcast is amazing. And every project that they make, uh, Natalie Brunel, everyone that has been on Salvador, but they are not Salvadorans. And the point is that there's there has to be at least one Salvadoran because you know your story. So, for example, mm -hmm. you you give your point of view because you're a Canadian, so you know what your struggles, so you know what uh, you're facing on, your, you know your history, and it's it the same thing. And I was expecting that, and uh, and I wait like a few months and never saw it, and I was getting impatient <laughs> really quick, and I was like, oh, all right, uh, and I was talking with my friends about it, even my my family, and I was like, all right. By this time, I know I know our history. I know about Bitcoin, and uh, I think I'm gonna do it. <laughs> and I did. And my idea was well, to. Sorry. We, you know what I think is difficult, and I, I think maybe the reason we haven't seen more Spanish creators, and again, it could just be a language barrier thing. But when different languages and, and people from different backgrounds make content about anything, really, mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons that you become popular is you start showing up on other influencers feeds and you have a chance to collaborate with other influencers and you have a mm -hmm. chance to um you know get exposure through them and I've, I've really noticed the effect of that uh in my journey like i had some of the early you know bitcoin channels share my stuff and i got like tons of followers through that and if i really break down like where did i get my followers and my views from it's all from other bitcoiners sharing it mm -hmm. and so the the challenge is is that um English creators will not necessarily share Spanish content because they don't understand mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But because English creators have the biggest market share, they mm -hmm. have the biggest impact, I think, in how new creators are found. And so mm -hmm. it's a matter of like, the, the thing that's crazy about this is that I actually think in the immediate term, uh, you know, countries like in Latin America, like El Salvador and in South America, they have the biggest market fit for Bitcoin and Bitcoin education. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the ones actually using the lightning wallets mm -hmm. do you think we're all using them in in, in the us and canada no mm -hmm. right like they're being used in el salvador they're being used in all of these circular economies most of which are based in, in spanish-speaking countries and mm -hmm. uh they're the ones who need the education more than anyone but i think mm -hmm. the challenge is that so much of the available education is mm -hmm. in english and so maybe they're just consuming english videos but I think it represents a big opportunity. And I think that's probably why you didn't see a lot of uh, education from El Salvador is just because it's it's hard for, there probably are other creators, but they're having a hard time getting seen because they're not getting boosted by all the other uh, influencers out there. But I think yeah, it's absolutely. coming. I think it's really coming, man. And hopefully it's coming because, yeah, we need a lot of education. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know who I'd like to give a, I, I like to give a shout out to. I always like to give a shout out to people I can, I can remember. Uh, yeah. His name's Adrian Trevino. I don't know if mm -hmm. you've, in his stuff but he does uh he does TikTok quite uh primarily but he does similar stuff to me uh mm -hmm. 60 second breakdowns of bitcoin concepts wow. and he's had people in his comments but his views are awesome like he's got thirty thousand followers on TikTok. his videos wow. get around ten thousand views each and his, his stuff's amazing 
um, really concise explanations of, of Bitcoin in Spanish. And yeah, I like, I love mm -hmm. that stuff. Actually, I wish there was more of that in English, to be honest. So yeah. <laughs> lovely, lovely. No, but yeah, one of the things that the main challengers is also the, the language barrier. Actually, that's, that's mm -hmm. why I, I subtitled this one because, so, you know, in your case, the, just we speak English in this episode, so they get it in Spanish, but the people that speak in Spanish, they're going to get it in English for, uh, English speakers. So the, the thing is like to make a bridge between, uh, educators and the people that need education you know so that mm -hmm. that's that's a goal that's a goal <laughs> and we'll awesome. see yeah yeah and uh okay but i i love that you are really a really good uh filmmaker so before going going deeper into bitcoin i want to ask you how how do you pick your content like uh, for example do you pick uh do, do you produce what you want or or do you do what your audience wants in in my case it's a little bit for, for example uh both of them there's a mixture because I, i produce this in the way that uh something that i always wanted to to see in a salvadorian podcast you know that's why i bring everyone that i bring here like like the best one like the best education possible but i'll also hear my audience and they say like you should bring more uh Spanish speaker from Salvador and also, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. Just subtitle them. So if they, even if they're speaking in Spanish, they're in English. Okay. So I'm going to do it. So how, how do you do that? How, how do you pick also? It's a really good question. Um, I think every creator kind of has to pick the journey that they want to go on. And I think there's different paths to it. Number one, you can just follow your heart, just make whatever the hell you want to make. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're lucky, it's also what the audience wants to see. And then you do really well. The other route, and I think a lot of people choose it, is they listen and they care a lot about trends. What is trending? What do people want to hear in the Bitcoin space? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think sometimes it can result in people sort of chasing the hype dragon. So, so when I say, mm -hmm. you know, these are the people looking for what everybody else wants to hear, I'm talking about channels who are making daily content like really going out there and there's nothing wrong. Like that stuff's great. And we need people on the front lines just talking about the news and all that, but it can get exhausting and it can also get slow because you're looking for all the cool headlines happening in Bitcoin. Oh, X country legalizes it. Oh, what's going on with the ETF? Oh, who Michael Saylor, Elon Musk. Like you can make <laughs> stuff about that all day long. Cause in Bitcoin, thankfully there's always a lot of news happening. Mm -hmm. And so you can just commentate on that. Um, the, the challenge with that is, you have a lot more competition. There's a lot more people who want to do that every single day. You want to talk about Bitcoin news, maybe you have a unique perspective, um, but it's challenging. And also the videos, you make a video about, you know, Tesla adding Bitcoin to the balance sheet. Well, in 2023, I don't care about that anymore. Right. That was mm -hmm. two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so the other route is, you know, just trying to do educational stuff. Um, you know, Bitcoin sessions does an amazing job at that, just breaking down stuff. And he has a mix of, doing stuff that his audience asks for, but I would say for him, I would say most of it is kind of his original ideas and products and things that he's tried out. And that's awesome. And the great stuff about that content is that uh, people will watch those videos two, three years later as well. Uh, you know, how to set up a Bitcoin node, a video like that never really gets old. You know, maybe we're getting mm -hmm. better to at making Bitcoin nodes, but that never really gets old. And so that content's great um, in that way as well. And you can build a great audience through that. When it comes to the stuff that I make, um, it's a mix of 
I am starting with, when I started out, I didn't have an audience to ask what they wanted, right? So I started out just making stuff that I felt that I didn't quite, you know, understand about Bitcoin and I wanted to dive deeper in myself. And so half the video process was just trying to actually learn something that I didn't know about. And so once I finally felt like I got it, that was when I was able to finish a script up, talk to camera, explain certain concepts. And so the first videos I did were like, you know, what is Bitcoin? What is Ethereum? You know, how do you how do you get exposure to Bitcoin without actually having to buy Bitcoin? Here are, you know, six stocks that give you Bitcoin exposure without having to buy Bitcoin. Because I know that it's not so easy sometimes for people to, you know, go on exchanges and do all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what happened during Quadriga? That was a really weird story for a while. No one understood. I was a part mm -hmm. of it. So I, I kind of tried to explain that. Mm -hmm. And um, through just the process of making things I was curious about, I, I found out what people were most interested in. And I think a lot of the same things still hold true. People are always curious, no matter who you are, about your price predictions. And the bigger the number, uh, the harder the number to justify, the more views you're going to get on that number. There's a lot of influencers who understand that game. You open up a, a video thumbnail and you put Bitcoin, $10 million price target. Here's how. You're going to do way better than mm -hmm. making a video that says you know, uh, how to set up a node, right? What are mm -hmm. Bitcoin nodes? People, people want the hopium. And so yeah, I've dabbled in that a little bit. Uh, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I, I will still use Bitcoin if it still stays at $30,000 for the next 10 years. Honestly, it's still useful to me. Uh, mm -hmm. hopefully it doesn't, but, uh, <laughs> is what it is. sometimes it feels like it's been 10 years. Um, yeah, basically or more. Yeah, basically from there, once I started getting into this rhythm of finding out what does my audience like, you know, what where are the YouTube views coming in? You get to see all the stats when you post these things. What's the click-through rate on your thumbnail? How long are people watching the video for? You get a better sense of what people want. And then you try and kind of straddle that line between what do you want to make and what does the audience want? And um, the big shift came for me last year uh, because I realized that there was a huge lack of short-form content. And I was, I would say, arguably late to the TikTok game. I could have started in 2020. I didn't really get started on the shorts until 2022. Um, but as soon as I put them out, I was getting really good feedback on them uh, from people wanting to learn about Bitcoin. TikTok was getting, you know, thousands of views. And at one point, my TikTok was growing so fast that I thought it was actually going to become bigger than my YouTube, which I've been doing for like three years prior or four years prior. So, um, yeah, I realized that was a really good medium. I started posting them on on Twitter as well. Um, and I think people really connect with those. Not every single one is going to be, you know, a winner, but people like the 60 second stuff. It's a lot easier to share. You might even watch mm -hmm. the video twice. And so the algorithm loves that. And it's a good challenge because you get to really hone your skills on explaining Bitcoin. You have to do it under 170 words each time, unless you're a very fast speaker. If you go over 170 words, it's more than a minute. And so I got really into that. And then also, um, El Salvador was a big turning point for me because I had watched um, uh, Nayib Bukele's announcement at Bitcoin 2021. Jack Mallers on stage was like shedding a tear. You could really tell how big of an accomplishment that was uh, for him and for the country. Yeah. And it was kind of scary at first because, you know, if you actually read the Bitcoin law, it was like mandating people to actually use this. And it's crazy mm -hmm. to mandate a new technology, but not really have an education rollout for it. So I was so curious. And that was why I ended up going to El Salvador. I was wondering like, okay, 
I'm going to go two, three months in. Are people going to actually know how this works? Are they going to be kind of like, you know, put under the thumb to figure it out? Is Chivo functional? All of these questions. And then also what the history of El Salvador was as well. Is like, why this country? You know, why, you know, Naib Bukele, why is he the guy to be the first one to do this? And so, so many interesting questions and, and stories there. And uh, yeah, in November 21, I ended up going down there with my girlfriend, uh, paid a lot of money in getting... Uh, journalists actually helped me we got some interesting interviews uh that i never published actually you might know this guy's name is eugenio chicas mm, it sounds to me it sounds to he's me. like a he's a very big opposition voice to uh um uh nuevas ideas in um from you know, arena or fmln or maybe. i, I think he's one of them i think he's maybe the fmln anyways He's a really interesting guy, and we managed to reach out to him and do this interview with him. And he was telling us actually that he's a bit older. He knew uh, Naib Bukele when he was a little kid, like seven, mm -hmm. eight years old, because he was friends with uh, Armando uh, Bukele, mm, his father. And yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, we learned so many interesting things about his background. I never got to put that into the documentary, but yeah, we we worked with these journalists in the country. We got access to some really cool places and, and interviews with people. I did my best to kind of make you know whatever I could with it. It, it, it takes months to do these documentaries sometimes. So, Absolutely. Um, but it was amazing and it's such a beautiful country. And the, the thing I really came away with was I have traveled to, you know, Mexico, Peru, Colombia, Ecuador before. Um, by far, I felt safer in El Salvador than any one of those countries. And, and it was in 2021, was, right? It was in 2021. Yeah. We were walking around and, and, and so keep in mind, like, I might have had the sheltered gringo experience of El Salvador. We were in, um, you know, the nice area next to the conference space in downtown uh, San Salvador. We were walking around at night, you know, getting McDonald's, going out for dinner. Everyone was so nice there. Um, and then same with like El Zonte, El Tinco, walking on the side of the road. Felt really safe. Maybe just a stupid thing. Maybe I shouldn't have done that, actually. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but I come from a place that virtually has no crime in, in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's just too it's too spread out here and, and uh, too too nice. The, the, the thing you fear here is uh, cougars and bears, uh, much more than people <laughs> when you're walking around at night. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was amazed at, number one, how friendly everyone was. Um, how open people were to do interviews down there about Bitcoin, to share the history of their country. And I had frankly, you know, we in the West, we complain so much about things like woke culture. You know, our prime minister in Canada is Justin Trudeau. I mean, how mm -hmm. how shitty would you have to feel about your country to elect a guy like that for the third time during the pandemic? There's a lot of people in Canada um, and I'm going to get some heat for this. I think that that kind of don't like themselves. And we elect these terrible, terrible politicians up here that do ridiculous things, um, you know, because we think that they'll keep us safe or, or you know, give us a social safety net or something. Mm -hmm. And people here are very jaded and cynical. And all throughout El Salvador, everyone we talked to, um, even though I had never seen El Salvador beforehand, I, I'd seen enough to know that the energy was different down there. Uh, and people were happy and and the journalists were telling us like he, we went to the center square of El Salvador where there's like a market and he was he's saying like oh I have not I haven't been down here in about three years like you just you just don't come downtown anymore and he was like this is like th this feels different it's nicer and we were kind of ex experiencing a bit of El Salvador through the lens of uh, a local who was you know used to avoiding certain areas 
And that to me was so special to be there really on the, on the front lines of, of, you know, call it Bukele's revolution of, of really changing the safety and the security of that country. And I'm going back there uh, in a couple months and I'm, I'm so curious to see how it's progressed since. One of the big things I noticed down there too was like the amount of construction was incredible. On the roads, people were building new overpasses and, uh, you know, we were there when they were still building the new Chivo Pets building. Mm-hmm. And I remember we filmed drone footage around it when it was still, um, you know, under construction. Yeah. Three months later, the building's done. Wow. It's amazing. You know how long it takes to build anything in, in Canada? It's it's like you want to build a three-story pet hospital. It would take you like four years. They they did it in like six, seven months mm-hmm. down there. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it was really an incredible experience. Tell me, uh, what was, you, you can pick one of your best moments in El Salvador. What, what can you take, like, your, your bullet point, your highlight? Oh, I think best for memory. Me- I'm a I'm a very I'm a very big nature person, so I loved hiking Santa Ana, uh, mm-hmm. being on top and seeing the entire country like that, mm-hmm. and then looking down into the the pit. One of the coolest parts of that too was um, we were at the top of the the volcano, and then there's this this kid who comes up and he's got this big backpack, um, this little thing had like a hole in it. And we were wondering like, what's in there. And uh, he's he's hiking up the mountain, and he had all these popsicles uh, he was selling for I think a dollar or two dollars. Oh. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we talked to him, and he was like, "Oh yeah, like I come up here every every day, basically." Um, wow! And I sell these popsicles, and it's like it's a, it's a pretty uphill hike. It's like an hour and a half. Yeah, at least yeah. I would say. It's God, I'd say he had at least eighty pounds of, of popsicles on his back, but he sold out completely. Um, and I was like, wow, that's, that is hustle to do this hike every single day, but that's good money. Right. So like, okay, so I don't know, he got, he had at (laughs) least a couple hundred popsicles or something, but he sold out because the mountains, I mean, Santa Ana is, it gets busy up there now. Um, so he's doing good work, but man, that's a lot of exercise to do every single day. Yeah. Do you want to, uh, Guatepeque Lake also it's nearby there. Guatepeque. Um, we went to this town and it had this kind of like colonial style church it was white maybe that was it i forget ah, no Su- suchitoto could be yeah suchitoto we went to suchitoto yeah, yeah that's so beautiful there yeah. yeah i love that area too actually shout out to we have we have some my family has some vets friends there that they have a restaurant and it's called uh el tejado go to el tejado <laughs> because they have really good food and beautiful beautiful views they're really amazing and hard lake is that is that like the big crater lake we went to that one as well yeah and uh, that was really beautiful yeah yeah and the water is like sky blue super, super yeah. clean supernatural yeah super yeah that was really beautiful too and driving around it like it's it's amazing it's like this big bowl people are out there on their jet skis and stuff too that's so amazing and i'm, yeah, I'm glad that you had a really nice experience that's actually that's one thing that i like to ask if you if you travel to el salvador how, how do you feel there and i'm glad that you feel that way because uh the contrast actually it's it's huge for example um a couple weeks ago uh, one of my sister's best friends came here and uh, they have like a, a small company and uh, they have some workers but uh, long short story, the workers uh, before Bukele, they couldn't go to any uh, other places because they were, uh, the places were really violent, you know, they were controlled mm-hmm. by gangs and everything. And um, her husband 
told us that one of those days that they were here, he got a call from one of his workers and, and he asked like, Oh, what are, what are you working right now? And he told uh, one of the, um, I can remember right now the name of the, this city, but it was really violent. And, uh, no, I don't remember. I, I will put it on the podcast notes, but he was like, what are you doing there? Get out of there. And he, he was like, no, it's super safe. There are no more gang members. It's super clean. People are super happy that our kids, uh, on this, on the streets and the parks, uh, playing football or whatever. And, uh, she told us that. Uh, that's, for example, they were before Bukele, they were from the opposition and, uh, but they saw the changes. They were lucky because they were never got a struggle because of the violence, you know, because they were under some term, some areas, poor areas, but they have seen the change on their employees or people that tell them that they're happy, they're secure right now. And they told us like, and man, we have seen the change. We have seen the difference. No matter our our political uh, thinking, whatever, we have seen the changes. And that's the important thing. Of course, mm-hmm. people. I, I don't want to say that uh, Bukele is a hero because no politician is a hero. But the thing is that as Bitcoin, you have seen some proof of work, and that's the important part, right? So. Look, I think, you know, wherever you are, people have like a hierarchy of needs. And I think it's it's been mm-hmm, so clear mm-hmm. that before Absolutely. anything in El Salvador, you have to make sure people are secure. Like the 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 murder and the homicide rate and all that stuff was just it's too high. You can't you can't focus on on job creation. You cannot focus on the economy. You cannot focus on almost anything until people feel like they can leave their houses. And like, you know, that was such a problem in El Salvador for so long. And so the question, the question that I have moving forward for El Salvador is, mm-hmm. so, so Bukele, it seems to me, his strategy was to really invest a lot into the, you know, into the building up the military and security there quite a bit. Yeah. Um, he had a vision for the country. He wanted to get other people in on it too, right? Like if you see crimes, report crimes, we have the infrastructure now. Um, he's built a lot of prisons, right? Well, um, one big prison, it, but yeah. One big prison, right? But it, it's still, it's still important, right? And so the question yeah. I have moving forward is, okay, it seems like crime rates are down there twofold because number one, he's cracked down on it a little bit more. But number two, when people feel optimistic, they don't join the gang. So you're getting fewer people joining the gangs as well. Um, the, the question I have that I worry about long-term is that, is that really sustainable if for any reason Bukele loses power? Are Arena and FMLN, I don't know if they're gonna come back in in four years or five years or 10 years. But they obviously failed at keeping that country secure for the longest time. And so I worry that, you know, somebody like Bukele sets this up, but if the apparatus isn't there to maintain it long term, things can devolve pretty quickly. It's not like you get rid of the gangs 100% down there. They still operate, but they're going to operate a lot more sneakily down there. Mm -hmm. And so if things start to happen, maybe the economy stops doing well, you know, maybe the country gets hit by a hurricane or something like that. It, would the default be to, you know, return back to this gang rule, or do you think it's kind of out of there long term? Do you think that Salvadorans have turned a chapter now for the next 20, 30, 50 years? That's a really good question. And that's the debate, actually, that we, we have in our circles, because uh, one thing that every, every time that I have this uh, debate, um, 
we come some with some conclusions that are kind of common. First one, I think uh, that yeah, that people have not learned about history, but I think most Salvadorians suffer what happened in El Salvador. You know, so um, I think every Salvadorian you can ask anyone, and even they didn't have a direct impact, but they know somebody that knows somebody that he was killed or mm -hmm. kidnapped or whatever. So I think that's um, that's heavy for people that they have it that in mind, and and they know that both uh, parties are in an FMLA and have failed clearly doing that. Uh, so that's that's one thing, and the other one about Bukele, yeah, that's. That's the really big question, right? Because now I think he's going to win the elections again. So he will have five more years to continue developing what he started. But I think one of the important things that he also had to do is to find somebody that in the party that continue with uh, everything that he's doing, like um, Bitcoin structures, like um, tourism, keep safe, uh, keep people safe and and everything right so um people are really happy so i think if it's not him it will be somebody else hope hopefully i get uh, from the noah's ideas but yeah that's something that politician needs to work on right but about about uh the population i i think because of our history uh hopefully we won't go back but yeah that's the main question because if you look back and compare with other places in Latin America, for example, Ecuador, what is going on in Ecuador right now? It's super, super bad. And yeah, they, well, have, they have the assassination, right, of one of the candidates there. And they have a really good period uh, of peace uh, quite back there, like five, six years ago. Years ago, they were growing. They were super peaceful. Not peaceful at all, uh, entirely, but they were in the good path and now they are in the run, but so yeah, it's quite complicated. <laughs> Who knows me? It's uh, yeah. It's uh, hopefully. I wish I had the magic eight ball to see the future and have the answers. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So um, going back to to the question that I make you about films, um, <laughs> uh, one of the the main questions that I want to ask you is that. Um, what are the most challenging things that uh, you face as a creator, like a filmmaker? And mm. uh, maybe related to Bitcoin, because right now you're focused on Bitcoin. I think the most challenging thing about making films about Bitcoin is to actually visualize it. Because when we talk about Bitcoin, we use a lot of jargon. That is very hard for the average person to understand when we talk about inflation and we talk about interest rates and we, when we talk about sound money and, and all these concepts like how do you draw those things like like what if i just ask you draw sound money on a piece of paper like what would you even start with like a gold but like that doesn't really explain it draw mm -hmm. inflation like how do you draw inflation and so film is a visual medium right like like it makes sense that a lot of bitcoin material has really gotten deep in books and has gotten really deep in audio because um these concepts are things that we we talk about a lot and they're very academic but when you make films um 
you can do the same thing where you just have a whole bunch of interviews, but it's basically just like a visual podcast, just a podcast with faces on it. And Mm -hmm. I feel like up to this point, that's been a lot of what Bitcoin films are. It's a lot of podcasts, shorter podcasts, maybe with people's faces, but that's Mm -hmm. not what film's about. Film Mm -hmm. is visual storytelling. It's storytelling through actions. It's storytelling through uh, visual metaphors. It's storytelling through editing. It's storytelling through music. It's so rich. It's such a rich medium. And the, the biggest challenge with making Bitcoin films is really figuring out how do I represent or talk about Bitcoin without talking to you straight about Bitcoin, right? How do I tell the Bitcoin story with objects? How do I tell a Bitcoin story through history, pictures, slideshows, showing real world impact? And so that to me, it's it's been a fun challenge, but that's one of the biggest challenges about making films about Bitcoin is how do you keep this interesting? Because there's a certain subsect of the population. If you just start showing them Michael Seal or talking to camera, they're going to tune out. They want to be entertained. They want to be taken on a journey uh, through their learning experience. And so that's always been something I've, I've had a challenge with is like, well, how do we do it? And and one of the examples I like to give of like how uh, Bitcoin storytelling hasn't worked so far is that people still use these stock photos and images of like a physical coin of Bitcoin, because we have such a hard time as, as humans processing the idea of digital money. Like, what does that actually look like? It's just ones mm-hmm. and zeros that mm-hmm. people default to showing this like little B coin with like the lines around it. And it's like spinning and the news still do it. And so we don't think much of it. We look at that. And we're like, yeah, well, they're not real Bitcoins. Go out on the street and ask people. And a lot of people actually think that Bitcoins are physical coins backed by you know, digital money. And there were such a thing called like Cassius coins back in 2012. They would literally print the private key inside of the coin or something or the seed phrase or I don't know. But a lot of people, like we ask them, what is Bitcoin? They're like, I don't know. Like there's no physical thing. Or it's like, I saw it's like, it's like, it's like a gold coin with like a B on it. Mm-hmm. Trust me, you start going out and you start talking to people who have never touched this space and you learn that our media has been letting us down because the way that they've told the story of Bitcoin, they've just clung to really basic concepts because they haven't been able to figure it out themselves. And so Mm -hmm. I think as Bitcoin filmmakers and storytellers, we have to start evolving past the old ways of telling the Bitcoin story and start figuring out new ways uh, to tell it in a very visual way in order to really clarify in people's minds what Bitcoin is. But it's going to be a challenge, but that's, you know, that's the joy of filmmaking is, is overcoming that stuff. Okay. Okay. Lovely, man. Uh, okay. Uh, I think it's a good uh, point to make the trivia. It's going to be trick questions. Okay. <laughs> Easy Let's questions. See. Early for me, but I'll give it my best. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to explain it because it's the first episode in English. Um, so it's going to be three questions in every episode. One question is going to be about Bitcoin. One question is about Salvador, and one it's about general culture. That are really easy question, I think, <laughs> but I don't know because I make the question, so obviously I know the answer. <laughs> okay, cue, yeah. cue the game show music. We gotta have music. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you see that the sound effects. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we're going to start. Um, with the first question and is i'm going to give you the question and four options so in the talking about um about bitcoin and their rewards <laughs> in the context of bitcoin what does the acronym hodl stand for i know you know <laughs> first option high obtain digital leisure b hold on for at your life three 
hyperlink online distribution layer, or D, hashing output data locator? Uh, I will answer B, hold on for bare life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, all right. But but but, but 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 uh, the actual trivia is actually it was technically not meant to mean that. Somebody mistyped it in Bitcoin Talk. They meant to to say hold, and they misspelled it. So that's actually absolutely the origin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I got, the origin. I've got a bonus point for that one. Yeah, <laughs> two points. Two points. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. That that's actually a, a really a good, a really good extra information. <laughs> it's good enough. Yeah. So the next one is uh, this is about Salvador and talking about about Mayans. The iconic Maya archaeological site in El Salvador, known for its well-preserved pyramids and artifacts, is. You know this one. I wanted to go there. Okay. <laughs> First, a Chichen Itza. B. Tikal, C. Copan, or D. Joya de Seren. I think it's Tikal. B? Is that your final answer? Is that your final answer? Dun, 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 dun. I think so. B. Tikal. Mm. Meh! Oh. <laughs> no. It's no. D. Joya de Seren. <laughs> That's that's in Guatemala, right? Oops. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and Hoya de Seren actually it's um is an archaeological site that is in La Libertad, Department of Libertad, and it features in a pre-Columbian Mayan farming village. So it's really beautiful beautiful. It's in Okay, the, I gotta put that one on the list for sure. Yeah, yeah. So the address is San Juan Pico, Agua Escondida, Kilometer. Kilometer 32. I'm going to put it on the podcast notes <laughs> so everyone can know about it and visit it because it's really beautiful. It's like a must. If you ever go to El Salvador, go to Guatemala and go to Honduras because it's really beautiful. And yeah. 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 Sure. So, and the third question. All right. So this is about general culture is which famous scientist formulated the laws of motion and universal gravitation? A. Albert Einstein, B. Isaac Newton, C. Galileo Galilei, or D. Nikola Tesla. So, sorry, it was the the law of motion and universal gravitation. That was Isaac Newton. Yes, Sir Isaac Newton. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well done, well done. <laughs> Cool. Two out of three. Yeah. Actually, I, I, like I think. Song. Yeah. I I think it's actually that's that one is tricky because uh, many people have because I made this question to one of my roommates <laughs> and he said by default uh, Albert Einstein did because he saw Oppenheimer like two weeks ago. So people have Albert oh, yeah. Einstein in their mind <laughs> right now. Yeah. Have you seen it by the way? Yeah, I liked it. It was really cool. Um, we saw it in IMAX and yeah, me too. Like. Like spoiler, but everyone knows there's like a bomb. You know the scene where like <laughs> the the scene where they like they go for the detonation of the bomb and it's just quiet. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. I was just like I was like waiting for the sound mm -hmm. and it's just mm -hmm. silent for like it feels like a minute. And then you're yeah. like, oh, they're just not gonna play the sound. And then boom, it just like comes at you super intensely. And I love that. Like it's just that's really clever editing the way they did that. Absolutely. That, that's actually that's one of the questions that I want to to ask you as a filmmaker. How 
how do you rate Oppenheimer overall? <laughs> It is one of my favorite Nolan films. You know what I loved about that movie is the soundtrack. I have been <laughs> listening to that soundtrack since the movie came out. Um, there's this track that kind of plays in the beginning when he's, you know, in school and it's called can you hear the music mm -hmm. and then um they do a version of that song later called quantum physics the, the composer is ludwig gorenson and it's like a slowed down version of that but it's it's a, i love it it's like one of my favorite compositions in movies I, i've just listened to that track so often can you hear the music by ludwig gorenson the oppenheimer original soundtrack it's an amazing amazing track yeah it's so and you saw it on on IMAX, but they also saw it on 70 millimeters, millimeters? I, I, I don't think the IMAX version I saw was 70 millimeters. I, I thought it was going to be, but it didn't feel like it was. You can mm -hmm. kind of feel the difference. It's more grainy, mm -hmm. but. Yeah, I want to also shout out here in Barcelona because there's uh, one of the movie theaters that can reproduce the 70 millimeters. And uh, it was close to my home actually. So I felt oh, nice. really lucky to go there. Yeah, because. Otherwise, uh, the other one I think is in, in Prague, but uh, if not, I have to watch it digital. But uh, I love those those uh, geek things about <laughs> about. Film. Oh, I'm I'm such a I'm such a movie guy. Like we, my girlfriend and I, we go to the movies probably two to three times a month, no matter what's playing. Like we'll go and we'll see if there's no big blockbusters, we'll go see one of the like indie horror films or even like mm -hmm. a crappy film. Mm -hmm. um, but Yeah, like oh, I love. Oh, so you, so you do you do you do the Barbieheimer then? Oh, how was it? Bar oh yeah, Barbie, we did. We saw Hammer. Barbie. I liked. <laughs> I liked Barbie. I thought it was good. It, it felt a little. I don't want to get into my opinion on Barbie. It's not. It wasn't made. <laughs> it wasn't made for me, right? Yeah. But uh, like huge accomplishment. Like it, you know what I I really appreciated about Barbie, and I realized is that they don't really make comedy films anymore <laughs> for movie theaters. Like when's the last time you went to a movie theater and you laughed a lot? Yeah, it's, it's been a while. Like the Marvel films, yeah, sort of, but they're not really comedies. They're action spectacles with. Yeah, yeah they're more like a trailer for the next movie. Exactly, and they never feel finished. Yeah, you're always like, oh, okay, what's like the next part? Next part? Mm -hmm. Next part? Well, they're done with Marvel films for a bit, anyways, because it's writer strike. But mm -hmm. seeing Barbie and like every couple minutes, people are laughing. It made me realize, like, wow, I I don't think it's been since like 22 Jump Street that I've sat and watched like a comedy film with everyone and it was great and I love it. And it's like, we got to bring those back. Just kind of like, I know that Barbie cost quite a bit of money, but go back yeah. to making, you know, 10 to $30 million dollar comedies because it's so fun to watch those with crowds. Mm, absolutely. I, I also love it. Um, I enjoy it. Uh, of course it wasn't meant, as you said, it wasn't meant for me, but uh, I generally love it. I laughed a lot and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, actually We had a really good uh, time. And one of the things that I also want to say before we uh, start finishing the, the podcast and talking about Bitcoin is that uh, one of the things that I thought once I finished watching Barbie and Oppenheimer is that one is that that um, we need a more uh, comedy films. But the other one is that people are also interested in biographies not just marvel mm -hmm. not just superheroes so because open is is purely uh by a biography of him of his uh you know so it was uh, i think it's one of the longest movies ever made uh, oh i don't know but from christopher nolan at least and yeah. 
and yeah, and you see people were really interested in it, and it was a huge success. So, so yeah, it was, yeah, it was really it, good. you're really right. And especially as that movie goes on, you realize like it's, it almost just takes place in like back, back rooms, government offices. Right. Um, mm -hmm. it is, it's, it's like a biopic through and through, but it's done really well. And yeah, like it keeps your attention the whole time. And, and I, I, I agree. Like, I think, I think part of the reason that it did as well as it did was because of Barbie and all the memes. And I also think because Christopher Nolan, like people will go out and see Christopher Nolan films, whatever they're about. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But that's powerful, right? Like when you have a platform like that, then you can tell stories to people that are really important that might not get the exposure otherwise. And so, you know, to me, the way that he told Oppenheimer, the whole story of it, it, it really rings true today about things that our, our governments do to censor mm -hmm, and political mm -hmm. motivations and the and the power and the responsibility involved with creating technology like that like it's a very even though it's a retelling of something that happened in, in you know like the 40s 50s it's a very powerful um you know story today so yeah absolutely no i, I totally agree actually that is one of the things that uh i actually thought when i saw that that's as you can see pretty pretty clear how governments work here <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so oh, yeah option. yeah so uh going back to to bitcoin and i'm really conscious about our time but i, I really want to ask you because uh i have seen actually last week i saw this uh sh the, this video that you make with the truckers that you spend uh f how was it 40 48 hours uh, yeah 48 hours yeah yeah with BJ. yeah with bj um I want to ask you about that and maybe well if you can give like a short context about about that well i think people know what happened uh, with the truckers but um during COVID. but i want really want to ask you like what are the lessons that you learned from from being there like <laughs> immersed with the trucker during 48 hours yeah so like brief context for people who don't know we had these trucker protests in canada um, to get rid of the vaccine mandates because in Canada they weren't letting people out of their houses you had to have these passports to go to restaurants all this stuff a lot of countries had stuff like this but it was it was pretty bad in Canada um you know because of Trudeau and, and some of his loony policies and so uh the truckers were forced to get vaccinated in order to cross the border uh, to do their job which essentially was not you know they were forced to get the vaccination and that's not cool because you can't really be a trucker and, and not eventually have a route across the American border where like 90% of Canadians live within a hundred kilometers of the US. We're very close to it. Um, so it was essentially like forced coercion of taking this vaccine that a lot of people weren't comfortable with. And so protests emerged around that. But obviously one of the things that happened was instead of actually talking to the protesters and, and trying to deal with them in a rational way, like a, a real liberal government would do, um they said these guys are breaking the law uh, we got to get them out of here they're a bunch of racist white supremacists and uh they are now raising all this money and we got to freeze their bank accounts and so that was like a huge line crossed in canada never mm. had anybody you don't use emergency powers to break up a peaceful political protest um Absolutely. and that's what it was and don't let them like rewrite history on that but yeah, anyways, BJ, uh, who I traveled with for 48 hours, he was one of the lead organizers of the of the trucker convoy and the protests and all that. And so he got to experience this all firsthand. He had his bank account frozen. Um, you know, he had issues with his trucking license and stuff. He actually took the vaccine. He didn't really care. He took the vaccine, but he didn't believe it was right that everyone was forced to take it. And so um, 
the big lessons learned from that, BJ is really interesting because um, as all the bank accounts were getting frozen, he understood the need for funding in some way. And he had kind of been into Bitcoin for a while. And then, mm -hmm. um, you know, people reached out to him and he organized basically a ground up um, fundraiser to raise some funds in Bitcoin to distribute them to the truckers, right? Because they were losing money, not doing their routes and all that. And they raised, you know, I think a couple million dollars in Bitcoin donations on chain through a, a couple of these sites. And uh, it, this had never been done before. I think that was a real test for Bitcoin. Can it be used as a, a tool in protests? And I would say it was like partially uh, successful. What had happened a little bit into it is that um, one of the volunteers involved in this was going around and giving people paper wallets with the seed phrases and all that stuff and the Bitcoin on there. And so... Mm. That's kind of an attack vector. If it's not claimed upon and put into a, a nice secure wallet, that can be mm -hmm. seized. And some of it was seized. And eventually his house, uh, the guy who was distributing these things, his house was raided and some of his Bitcoin was stolen. Um, oh. But the point was, is the transactions worked. And if everything was organized just a little bit better, everyone could have taken self-custody of this Bitcoin. And the police can beg and, and cry all they want, but they wouldn't have been able to take any of it because you can just store Bitcoin in your memory, right? Just 12 words, right? So uh, that was a really great learning experience. But what I really took away from that is that that uh, protest, it defined, I think it's going to be probably like the biggest event. And I say this in the video, I think it was the biggest event in Canadian history in a long time. Uh, Canadians, we don't have a cultural identity like maybe Salvadorians do or maybe Americans do. We don't take immense pride in our origins and where we come from as a country, because we're also a very new country. Um, you know, we were basically a, a colonial branch of the UK for the longest time. I, I think we only really gained our independence fully from them in like the mid uh, the mid 1900s. Um, didn't even have a flag until I think the, the 30s or the 40s or something like that. I could be wrong on that, but I think we didn't have the Canadian flag as you know it today until about the 30s or the 40s. Um, right. And uh, yeah, I mean, essentially. We, we've had this identity crisis in Canada and the trucker convoy for the first time was something where it wasn't as the media describes it. It wasn't just a bunch of like right wingers and, and vaccine conspiracy theorists. It was everybody. You had people on the left side, you had teachers, you had people from the right side, you had, uh, you know, uh, first nations coming together. You had immigrants coming together. Trucking touches everyone's lives, right? Like we need trucking in order to, to have our way of life. We need our food. We need our Amazon products, all these things. Yeah. And so people sympathize and they empathize with what they were going through people from all backgrounds and the media. And you have to understand in Canada, like we have state media, we have the CBC, it's the largest news network in Canada. And it's 80% of their money comes from the government. They were hell bent on making it look like it was all just white supremacists, but you could go into crowds during the convoy and see people of all skin colors. We have a very diverse country. We have like tons of people from China, India, uh, Middle East, Europe. Like we have a very diverse population here. And to make the argument that it was just a bunch of angry white people at the uh, the protest was super disingenuous. And so, um, yeah, it, it, the, the trucker convoy exposed number one just how uh, cynical and disturbing the media apparatus is in Canada. But number two, it exposed a way of peaceful protests to raise capital when the government is cracked down on you. And so while the Bitcoin thing wasn't 100% successful, we know that the Bitcoin protocol and the way that Bitcoin money gets transmitted works well enough to skirt around government crackdowns. 
it cannot be seized. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, we've been talking about this as Bitcoiners forever, like Bitcoin, permissionless, mm -hmm. unseizable, all this stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. great. But when has that been tested outside individual cases? Mm -hmm. Rarely has, right? The trucker combo was the first real test for Bitcoin. And that's going to be the lasting memory, I think, that not everyone thinks about when they think about the trucker convoy, but it's going to be one of the most impactful events uh, in Canadian history and our link to Bitcoin um, here. Yeah. And the, the last point on this, and I don't want to spoil the video, go watch the video if you haven't, because it's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the last point on this too, is that we have a lot of reasons to be divided everywhere, right? Every country right now is going through left versus right, big disagreements. I mean, you're lucky in El Salvador, like Nayib Bukele seems to have a 90% approval rating there. So everyone's kind of on board, uh, you know, on, on one kind of side of the political fence, at least there, which is great. But everywhere else in the world, you know, there's either dictators or there's like these really tight elections and, and people hate each other. And, People are, are upset at their neighbors and all this stuff. And and Bitcoin, when you really understand it, you realize how apolitical it is and how it has nothing to do with um, it has nothing to do with like left or right ideologies. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of libertarians embrace it, but it's a, it's a technology and it's a tool for everyone in every part of civilization. And we need more things like that to unify around. And that's really kind of the power of Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, that's what keeps, you know, me and BJ and all these other people hopeful for the future is Bitcoin is that tool, you know, and, and this technology that represents hope for the future, hope for freedom and sovereignty, the values that, you know, founded the U S and many countries a long time ago, independence, right? Self sovereignty, ability to forge one's own destiny. Every country and every person aspires to that in some way or another. And Bitcoin represents that for everyone. And, uh, yeah. I mean that's that was my big takeaway from it all. Yeah, that, actually, that's why I was asking you because uh, one of the things that in Bitcoin spaces that we talk a, a lot about the technology, but as you mentioned, there uh, there are not uh, much examples of what people can do besides my country and some other places. But for example, what happened in Canada was a really great example that, that how powerful can Bitcoin be and how can help you even if you said it wasn't 100% uh, a success but uh, the seeds of what what it was it it actually helped to, to the canadians to to the truckers so yeah. uh yeah so that, that's why i wanted to ask because i, I think it's really important that uh, people not just understand bitcoin but they can see in real life uh how helpful it could be and mm -hmm. uh so okay so i had just two more questions and and we finished and that that one is re actually related to canada do you think that uh they are getting left uh sorry that they are getting behind in bitcoin adoption or do you think uh because of what happens they are considering to learn the politicians or whatever or they are not interested at all about getting regulations or adoptions on bitcoin so here's something your audience might not know um canada i would say because we only have 40 million people in canada we only have about seven times the population of el salvador not even i mean that's crazy to think about canada is a massive country canada is like hundreds of times bigger than el salvador and we only have about you know, seven times the population it's a very very vast country uh, with a lot of people or not a lot of people actually that just are on the border 
But if you look at all of the Bitcoin products and services and innovations that have come out of Canada, look at how many core developers are from Canada. Look at companies like CoinKite, ShakePay, Bull Bitcoin, um, even Vitalik Buterin uh, is from Canada. We yeah. have a ton of Bitcoiners, Vitalik not included in there, uh, and a ton of Bitcoin <laughs> talent and a ton of innovations in Bitcoin and some of the best products in the world. Canadians have world-class Bitcoiners. And we had our own conference, Greg Foss, you know, Lawrence Lepar, like we're all, we're all Canadians, you know? Um, so you have that on the one hand where we have a really great community of Bitcoin builders here. Um, but on the other hand, uh, our government, um, while we have done a few things here, we have a Bitcoin ETF in Canada. Um, mm -hmm. We have different regulations around it versus altcoins. Uh, we're still really behind in, I would say, general Bitcoin adoption. From the polls that I've seen, apparently a larger percentage of our population holds Bitcoin than America. I can't back test that. I feel like, you know, they say that 10% of people own cryptocurrency of some sort, and most of that is Bitcoin in Canada. I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, I've, I've talked to hundreds of people, and I would say it's probably closer to like 3 2%. Um, but... The point is, is that uh, there are little pockets in Canada where you see a lot of great Bitcoin adoption. One, if you're ever around Vancouver, uh, you're welcome to stay with me, number one. But number two, Vancouver is probably the richest uh, city for Bitcoin adoption in Canada. And I would say probably on the West Coast, we have about 40 stores now. And it's thanks to this one, um, this one business that does merchant uh, payment facilitation called CoinOS. They've gone around. And so in, in Vancouver, you can get, there's people who have Airbnbs uh, that will take Bitcoin. There are um, food places, there's barber shops, there's tanning salons. Um, you know, we got like one little uh, convenience store. We're getting people here on a very grassroots level accepting Bitcoin. And we have our Vancouver Bitcoin meetups. We get like a hundred people. Jeff Booth, again, another Bitcoiner from mm -hmm. Vancouver. And Samson Mao, he's on Vancouver Island. So we have... A lot of Bitcoin talent here. We have good Bitcoin merchant adoption, um, but on a federal level, our politicians still have no idea really what Bitcoin is and what it's meant for. And the liberals in particular, uh, we have one politician, his name is Pierre Polyev. He's likely, based on the polls right now, to be the next prime minister of Canada. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a big fan of Bitcoin and he did videos uh, talking about how he likes the ability of people to have other forms of money to escape inflation. And he's been very public about it. The opposition parties have actually used it against him. They've said, oh, if you took Pierre Polyev's advice, you would have lost, you know, 60% of your money in Bitcoin or whatever, right? Because he was talking about it when it was like 60K or something. Um, so it's already become an issue on the political front. But in terms of understanding Bitcoin, uh, very few people do in Canada still. Uh, so a lot of work needs to be done. But I'm hopeful maybe five, 10 years from now, I would say that Canada will be as a population far ahead in Bitcoin adoption than the US. I would say right now it's about the same, but I think we have all the roots it's going to take for us to be one of the countries that understands and gets Bitcoin uh, in, let's just say, the G7 countries uh, before the rest. And my last question is, uh, any advice to other creators that are starting their careers or maybe that they are creators uh, consolidated but want to start to build on, to create content on, on Bitcoins? And last but not least, uh, what are you up to? Okay. Uh, advice for other creators. It depends where you are on the creator journey, but I would say this, 
if you want to make content for Bitcoin, you've got to get on Twitter. It took me way too long to realize that. Um, there's a lot X. of people who do just, just YouTube or X or whatever they want to call it. <laughs> uh, you can do well being on TikTok and, and all these things, but like post your videos on Twitter because I was shocked at how much more interaction I get on there. It's just where all the Bitcoiners hang out. And, and Noster too, get on Noster as well. Yeah, Noster. Um, but number two is reach out and collaborate with other creators. I used to be very discouraged. I was getting to a point where I was making these videos and I wasn't getting a lot of views. And I was really frustrated because I was trying to figure out like, how do I get more exposure? And uh, you know, how do I get people watching this? And it's important to build a community around you. So reach out to other creators, collaborate. You got to do this together. If you try and just be a creator alone, maybe you can get famous, but if you have a network of people that you're helping that are also seeing your content and elevating your content, you're going to have a much easier time and you're going to be able to stay motivated to keep producing through these, you know, either bear or sideways markets. Build that community um, because what's important is that if we want to explain Bitcoin to the world, it's not going to happen in like two videos. It's not going to happen in like, you know, one one game or anything like that. Like this is a this is a journey. This is something that you're signing up for, hopefully. You're like a, a like a soldier on the front lines. You got to be able to commit mm -hmm. years to it to get that message across. Yeah. Um, if it's not for you, it's not for you. But you know, I've been doing this for three years, and I feel like I'm just beginning. So that's that's like a glimpse into what you know the Bitcoin creator journey can be like. Uh, and then hopefully, don't run out of money in the meantime. Uh, it's really hard <laughs> yes. to raise money. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't make it your full time job like me uh, yet until you got some financial stability. That was a big mistake. I. I jumped into doing this full-time too early before I had a lot of money, but we're going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. Take, take your time. It's a long journey and uh, build a community around you and you'll be able to do it for a long time. Um, what am I working on? I got a bunch of things I'm working on, but the big one, um, and I'm really excited about this video. I have, I thought it was going to be a small thing, but it ended up being a really big thing. Um, let me just find something here real quick. Okay, so um, huh. I have always tried to figure out why are adults always saying Bitcoin's too complicated or like, oh, it's not my thing. It's not my industry. I don't get it. Right. Yeah. And I, I remember like my journey was really hard to get. It was very difficult. And uh, I thought like, man, hopefully people make learning about Bitcoin easier. And the year is the year of our lord 2023 bitcoin is easier than ever to learn than any other time in history and yet there's still a lot of people who don't know the first thing about it um either because they don't care or because they think it's too confusing but usually because they think it's like a big deal we mm. have no more excuses uh this is a book uh from i know that book <laughs> yeah there you go so we're doing a video uh i'm doing a video with them where i called up and i got like four six-year-olds off of craigslist of a Craigslist ad, and I invited them uh, into a space to play the Shamari card game and teach uh -huh. them what is a blockchain, what is a 51% attack, who is Satoshi, all of these things that uh, I went around asking people in Vancouver about they didn't know the first thing about. And so that's your call to action, is if a six-year-old can understand Bitcoin, you can too. And uh, we need to stop telling people that it's too complicated or you wouldn't get it or, or I don't have time to explain it to you. No. Uh, there is time. There are products. 
And uh, we can't we can't give up on on people. I think sometimes Bitcoiners feel like, well, if you don't get it by now, I don't have time to explain it to you. You know, it's too late. No, I hate that attitude. If 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 you think you're too above explaining Bitcoin to someone, um, then then bugger off. You have no right calling yourself a Bitcoin influencer <laughs> if there's certain people you won't yeah. talk to because you think that they're too dumb or ignorant. You got to level with people. You got to put in the effort. Um, mm. So. The, the video I'm making is is kind of about that. It's it's also about how we int- re- reintroduce Bitcoin to people because I think that um, the next bull run that happens, we can't use all these whole like number go up and all that stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. it's cool. We'll think about price, but if you get people thinking about price, they're only going to get let down. You want to mm-hmm. explain it from a first principle standpoint, and so um, uh, you want to you want to get people thinking like children. Children are curious. Uh, they don't know everything about the world, mm-hmm. and if we can become children, uh, then we can understand Bitcoin a little bit better than we do right now. So that's the whole video, and that's going to be out in about two weeks. Perfect, man. Perfect. All right, all right. Th- th- thank you for for letting letting us know. And shout shout out also to the Total Twins, actually the Bitcoin episode that they amazing have. show, yeah, amazing show, really good. So shout out to them. And uh, actually, I'm going to put to put also in the podcast notes so you can watch it if you have kids and you want to watch it. Actually, my nephew should watch it, so I'm going to put him again to what rewatch it. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Julian, thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you uh, for being part of the trivia questions <laughs> to learn a hey. little bit more about El Salvador. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, uh, Juan. Uh, El Salvador has like a very special place in my heart, um, you know, from visiting it, from getting to know the people. And I- I'd say this to people like who haven't been there. Go to it for Bitcoin, go go to it for whatever, but what you should pay attention to when you visit El Salvador is look at the look at people's faces there. And 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 if you can speak Spanish or you can find a tour guide and people who speak English there, speak to locals and, and ask them about their country. Because I think more in El Salvador than almost any other place in the world right now, people are extremely hopeful for the future there. And and hope is infectious. And that's what's going on in El Salvador right now. You have an infectious level of hope uh when you travel there when you leave and it, it's hard not to have like a smile on your face in that country so um i love that like that's really really special thank you thank you for your kind words and uh, yeah i i know people tell me about that every single time every single day even i saw with my friends that still live there my families uh, my family members uh yeah they have hope and again uh me, for example, that I live abroad, I see that even here in Europe, actually hope it's really odd now nowadays. And to see mm-hmm. that in in a country and uh, it's really impactful that a small country is giving hope to to people because yeah, after all what happens is like yeah, people don't see much hope right now. We are facing difficult times, but uh, yeah, go to El Salvador again. It's a beautiful country. And just as you said, don't just go for Bitcoin. Visit it. It's it's really beautiful. And my final question is: your favorite pupusa? Oh, uh, I think it's a loroco. The loroco. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that one. So lovely, so lovely. All right, guys. See you the next. See you in the next episode. See you in the next and the next week. Ciao. Peace.